Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Up, Hope. It's good to see you guys this weekend. I have Jessica Bettinghoff with hey me today. And there's a reason because almost everything we're going to talk about has to do with children's ministry, family ministries. So if you like kids, are a kid, have kids, you need to zone in for the next few minutes. We'll see you in just a second. Jessica, did you know that next weekend we do not have services here? Right? That's right. We have church, That's but it's right. not here. That's right. It's out there. We have an opportunity next weekend to be in our communities and spending time with our neighbors. It's going to be awesome, okay? Every once in a while, like a couple times a year, we, we take time off from gathering and we talk about that second word in Hope Community Church, community. Everybody needs people. We need, and we learned that a lot last year. And so this is a weekend. We want you to be in your community getting to know people. But when we yeah. come back on July 11th, like the whole world changes. It okay? does change. And one of the biggest things that happens, happens in your world. What is that? Yeah, so in any of our family ministry environments, we no longer need tickets. What? No tickets. No tickets. No tickets anywhere. Nowhere. <laughs> Everybody should be clapping right now. If you're not clapping, you're missing out. This is huge. No more tickets. It's gonna be awesome. But what that actually means some things. It has some implications, right? Yeah. So what does that mean? Well, that means that we need you. We need you to come be a part of what we're doing in Kid City and student ministry and special needs ministry. We need you to walk alongside kids and students. So they can grow in their faith and you can grow in your faith too. Absolutely. And then with that, next week, we have this other big thing called Promotion Weekend. What is Promotion Weekend? So if you have school-age kids, that means they are moving up. They're ready to go on to the next grade. Um, kids get so excited about this, and they're ready to see what's in store for them in their next classroom. Okay, parents. So what this means for you is if you had a third grader, as of July 11th, they are in our minds, they are a fourth grader, okay? Right. Whatever you had, they are now up as of July 11th. So if you drop their kids, your kids off in one classroom, it may not be that same classroom this week. So make sure you That's check right. on that, right? Yeah, good news. We have volunteers that are gonna be there ready to help you when you come to sign your kids in. Okay, last thing about July 11th. July 11th is huge around here. July 11th is when we start back at our Garner That's services, right. okay? Not once a month, not outside. Every week we are back. It's going to be awesome. When we come back after July 4th break, July 11th, everybody's back. Check out this video, Garner's back open. I just wanted to say, welcome back Garner. I am so excited that we're finally can greet people, see people this every week. This is a community that I love. I'm so excited to be back in person. I've been doing church remotely, but to see everybody that I love and see my family today just uh, brought such joy to my heart. Uh, I am thrilled to be back at Garner. There were so many people here. It just feels like home. Um, and it's just so nice to see so many faces that we haven't seen in over a year. I don't know if I have enough words. Like exciting is a, a, a small word, but 
I mean, it does not compare to the feelings we had here today. The energy and just the excitement of everyone today was just, wow. It, the power of it, felt it. Like, you didn't even have to talk to anyone. You could just like walk in and be like, oh wow, this feels good. One million percent psyched to be back. So I'm super excited, we're back, and we're here to stay. Man, I'm so excited about Garner reopening. It's gonna be incredible. We have been in a series for the last few weeks called Identity Crisis, where we've been asking you to have this identity crisis between you and Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? And this week, Chase is going to bring it home for us. He's gonna end the series up with a story about Lazarus. It's going to be great. And like we've done every single weekend, we are going to end the service with some questions. So we're going to ask for you to stay all the way through to try not to catch that time where you can get out early. And I, we get it, I understand. <laughs> but hang with us, because the last five minutes of the service are maybe the most important impactful minutes you'll have this whole week, okay? So hang on, it's gonna be great. Only one thing left to say. Welcome to Hope. We hope. Good. It's good to see you. Welcome to those of you that are joining us online, whether it be GetHope.tv or Facebook or YouTube, however you're watching. And welcome to those of you at our physical campuses. Uh, we're so glad you chose to join us. We are wrapping up our series that we've been calling Identity Crisis. Have you guys enjoyed it so far? Yes. I have loved it. We've been going through different encounters that Jesus has with different people and uh, just the lessons we can learn and uh, who Jesus is in those moments. And I've loved the end part where we get to just spend a few minutes and respond to what God teaches us through those scriptures. Well, this week is going to be no different. We're going to look at an encounter that Jesus has with a guy named Lazarus, kind of a famous story. Uh, but before I get to that story, I want to tell you a story from my own life, and it's a true story. Uh, when me and my wife first got married, we moved to Annapolis for a few months, and I did construction with my brother-in-law there. So we did some trim carpentry. We did bathroom remods. I had no idea what I was doing, but I learned a whole lot. And during like a two-month period, we worked for this guy. We'll call him Rich because he was. Uh, he lived uh, right on the water of Annapolis, and he had a big old yacht, and he had another big old boat that he eventually would sell to Christina Brinkley, like that kind of boat. And so we did a pergola for him, and then I helped with the teak interior and exterior of that boat, and also we winterized the yacht, getting it ready for winter. And Jenny would actually come out and uh, bring me lunch and help me sand and help me paint. She spent a lot of time at that house too, file that away for later. Around that time, I heard that one of my favorite musical artists named Martin Sexton, you guys ever heard of him? He's little known, but I used to love him. He was coming to Baltimore, which is about an hour's drive from Annapolis. And uh, I listened to this guy's albums for like hundreds of hours. And uh, Jenny had never been to a concert with this guy with me. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to share this area of my life with my, my new wife? Uh, so I buy two tickets and I say, Jenny, we're gonna go on a special romantic date this Friday, so just get ready. I told her it was a secret, just look pretty and it's gonna be fun. So Friday rolls around. And she comes walking down the steps looking beautiful on like a scale of one to 10 of happiness. She's like beaming. So we get in the car and we start driving to Baltimore. And I look over about halfway there and she is dropped from like a 10 to like an eight. Like she's not as happy as she was. She's not mad or anything, but she's a little kind of weird looking. So I'm like, I don't know what's going on. 
We finally get to Baltimore, and uh, I find the closest restaurant, which is at Chipotle. So we pull in there, and uh, we just grab. You're laughing. She's from Southern California. This is like her, her love language, all right? So we get two burritos from Chipotle, and uh, I look at her after those burritos, and she's down to like a five. Like she looks confused. She's not too excited. So we find uh, where Martin Sexton playing, and it's a, in a really seedy, uh, dirty dive bar. And uh, so we walk into the bar. It's my kind of place. And the first act goes on. First act comes off. And then Martin Sexton takes the stage. And I look at her, and I'm so excited. And she's like a negative one. She's like <laughs> seething. She is super angry. So I turn to her, and I'm a new husband, so I don't know any better. And I ask, what is going on? What's wrong? And she lets me know that she had it in her head that I convinced the guy that owns the yacht to let me captain the yacht and to sail it through Annapolis Harbor Bay and into Baltimore Harbor. And she thought that we were gonna have a sunset romantic date right there on the water. So when we got in the car and we started making our way towards Baltimore, she's like, why are we driving? Why, why aren't we sailing? And when we got to Chipotle, she was like, what about the scallops and the steak in the parlor of the yacht? And we got to this seedy bar and she was like, what's, what? I thought it was a, like a string quartet while the sun's going down and it was gonna be romantic. And in her mind, I had flipped the script. She had an idea of how that night was gonna go and I had completely defied her expectations. And what I meant as a night to bring us together, it actually drove us apart for a few weeks. She didn't get over it that easy. So uh, she knows, uh, we laugh about it now, but she knows um, I was going to tell that story this weekend. And she, she wanted to say it was a good thing that she experienced that because it really set the bar for the romance that our marriage would have over the next 15 years. So Chipotle, dive bar, that's about it. But that's what I want to talk about this weekend. When the flip gets script, when the, when the script gets flipped, I want to talk about when God does something that confuses us. When God does something that defies our expectations, when the story that we think he's writing for us takes a surprise turn. Because the truth is, when God flips the script, it can be uncomfortable, can't it? And here's the deal. We all have an idea. Uh, we all think that we know the story that God is writing for us. And we just know that every single chapter has a happy ending in our mind. So we just know we're going to lock into the best college. We know that we're going to uh, land that dream job. We know that we're going to get that perfect spouse. That we're going to have 2.5 kids that sleep through the night. That they're not going to cost us anything for an orthodontist. That we're going to uh, have the vacation home and a nice long retirement. And when one of those chapters doesn't have the happy ending that we expect, Expect, we can feel uncomfortable. Uh, we can feel confused. In fact, we can actually feel angry. But what the Bible clearly says is that the story that God has written for your life is drastically different than the one that you would write for yourself. I mean, read the story of any Bible character. Read Abraham or Moses or Paul or Samson or Peter, and there are twists and there are turns that they would have never written into their story for themselves. And it's easy seeing the story as a whole to be able to say, oh, that's why God did that, or that's why God allowed that. It's easy to discern what God was up to when we know the ending, but when we're in those moments where God flips the script, when we're being confused, it's very, very hard to figure out what in the world God could possibly be doing through that situation. 
So that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, I'm going to go old school. I got three Ps for you. So I'm going to talk about God's purpose for flipping the script. I'm going to talk about um, his, his, um, his presence in the midst of those seasons. And I want to talk about a perspective that we all need to have to make it through these seasons in a way that honors God. So purpose, his presence, and our perspective. So turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be reading through most of this chapter. It's a lot of text, but it's the Bible, so it's good. Read with me in verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. That's kind of a clunky way of saying there's a sibling group. So there's Lazarus who has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And if you read through the Gospels, you'll find out that Jesus loved this family. Uh, Lazarus was one of his close friends. Every time he came into Bethany, he stayed with Lazarus, not just because he liked Lazarus, but because Martha was an amazing cook, it says in the Bible. So uh, she would start cooking some beef ribs, I'm guessing. He's Jewish, not the North Carolina barbecue, but beef ribs, maybe some banana pudding. And while she was cooking, uh, Mary, the little sister, she was really good at conversation. So she'd pour a glass of wine or two, and they'd get into these in-depth conversations. And every time that Jesus went to that house, he kind of could let his guard down. He felt comfortable. He walked away refreshed. So it's this Lazarus that gets sick and not just a little sick, really sick. It says this in verse two, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. That's a really weird verse and you won't know why yet, but just keep that in your mind. We're going to come back to it at the end. Verse three, so the sisters sent him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So their brother gets sick and they think, well, lucky for us, we know a guy that kind of specializes in healing. We don't have to worry if insurance is going to cover it. We don't have to track down the copay. Like we, we can cash in on all these beef ribs. So they send Jesus a text basically just saying, hey, Laz, your boy, he's going to die. And you can tell by the content of the message that they sent that they know exactly how this story is going to play out. Jesus is going to hear that Lazarus is sick. He's going to drop everything. He's going to rush to Bethany. He's going to heal Lazarus. And then they say, well, we can throw a, a, a hooray, you didn't die party and get back to life as normal. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus flips the script. Look at this. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And two of the most confusing verses. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So they're two days from Bethany as, he, as it is. So he stays to ensure that Lazarus dies. Now, depending on your familiarity with the Bible, uh, that can be a little shocking. So let me say it as simply as I can. Because Jesus loved Mary... And because Jesus loved Martha, and because Jesus loved Lazarus, he allows him to die so that they can see his glory. Uh, some Bible translations get this wrong. They stick an although in the front of verse 5. Although he loved them, he still did this. That's not in the original. It's actually because of his love. Because he loved Mary, and because he loved Lazarus, and because he loved Martha so much out of that love, he allowed Lazarus to die so that they could see his glory. This is a love we might not be familiar with. This is probably a God we're not very familiar with. 
And that word see and that word glory actually repeated throughout this text. Two days later, after he knows Lazarus has died, um, he clues in the disciples. He says this in verse 14, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Jesus says he's glad that he was not there, that Lazarus died so that they could believe, so that they could see his glory and believe. And that's a crazy verse. And I could actually show you a few dozen other verses where it says, yeah, God says, I allowed this crazy thing to happen for my glory or allowed this hard season of suffering for my name and for my renown. There's verses that even say, I do all that I do for the purpose of my fame and my renown and my glory. And when we first hear that, we don't like that. It kind of sounds like God's being a show off, right? But the Bible says unmistakably that he is a show off, <laughs> but that it's a good thing. So I could get into some pretty deep theological waters like defending God, and God does not need a defense, and that's not my job. But here's how I would explain it. Um, they say when you first get married, uh, you're really signing up, not just marrying one person, but you're actually marrying three or four or five different people. Not like polygamy or anything like that. Like uh, the person that you marry on day one is not the same person uh, 10 years later. And they're a different person 10 years later still. And they're a different person like 30 years later, right? So they change throughout the seasons of their life and you're the same way, you change as well. That's a part of what makes marriage so challenging. You guys know this, like ladies, you signed up to marry this athletic, tone, in-shape spouse and then you fast forward 10 years and two kids later and maybe 20 pounds or 30 pounds, he's heavier and so you're walking up the stairs one night and he's just getting out of the shower with no clothes on and he's bending over to put on a sock and that's when you walk in the bedroom and you get this image like that is not who I married. You're laughing because it's right, right? And he, he isn't, he's not the same guy that you married, not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Like uh, when I first started going out with Jenny, um, I, I knew that she was very pretty um, she loved Jesus, which was, was important to me. She was uh, extremely pretty. Uh, she was funny. She was very pretty. Are you seeing a theme here? So we got married, and then shortly after that, we had two kids 13 months apart. And that was extremely challenging time. But I got to see these aspects of her that I had no idea were in there. I saw her resiliency. I saw her nurturing side. I saw her strength. And as we've gone throughout the different seasons of our life, I've seen all these different characteristics through the hard times and through the good times. I've seen uh, just her, her, uh, her patience. I've seen her discernment. I've seen her wisdom. I've seen the way that she has my back. And so uh, I love her more today, 15 years after we said I do, than I did that first day. And I'm sure that that's going to increase. And I've changed too as well. I shower like almost daily, which is a big deal for me. I definitely lock the door when I put on my socks. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> our relationship with God is the same way. So the Jesus that I know today, he's the same Jesus that I started following all those years ago, but I see him in a completely different light. There's all these different characteristics of his glory and aspects of his goodness that I know about today that I did not all those years ago. That's what happens when a relationship matures and grows. And what I want you to see is that, that that's one of God's primary purposes and flipping the script, to slowly reveal to you new aspects of his glory, uh, new, new character traits, new aspects of his goodness. And isn't it true that it's in the hard times that we really get to understand someone? 
that we really see what's inside someone, that a relationship goes from surface level to pretty deep. I love uh, at the end of Job's life, and let's admit, he went through a crazy season where God just flipped the script. Here's a righteous man, and God allows all these crazy things into his life. But at the end of that season, he says these famous words, I'd only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I have heard these things about you, God, before this tough time where you flipped the script, and now I've experienced them. I see them. I know them. They're true. See, God wants you to not just hear that he can heal. He wants you to experience personally him healing a certain area of your life. And if that's going to happen, it's going to necessitate a season of sickness. See that? Or he wants you to experience him, not just hear that he can provide, but experiencing him providing for you in a certain way. And if that's going to take place, there has to be a season where you go without something that you need. And he does this to show you a characteristic of himself that you're going to need later in life. Like David, before he was a king, he was a shepherd, right? And it says on two occasions, God allowed for a lion to attack him and for a bear to attack him and his flock. So on two occasions, he's standing there with this beast coming to attack his flocks. All he has is a shepherd's crook and a slingshot, but he experienced God as protector so that years later when he's standing in front of Goliath, he's like, I got this. I know that God can protect me because I've experienced it. See, Jacob needed to experience a God that would wound, but also bless. Paul needed to experience a God that wouldn't take the thorns out of his side, but that would use them instead. So here's a truth that you can write down. God will often delay his power in order to display his glory. God will often delay his power in order to display his glory. See, when he confuses us, he's up to something. I was talking with a guy a few months ago. It's a really cool story. Um, and he's a guy that's been to Hope for years and years, and he's always had this struggle with addiction. And I actually did a real deal intervention with him uh, before I left uh, to plant a church in Asheville. And so we left in 2014 to start a church, and when I came back in 2018, I didn't have contact with him. I don't know how his story went. Well, he walked into church a few months ago, and he was just lighter. You know, he just kind of seemed different. And so he came in, uh, and found me after the service, and he's like, what's up? I'm like, what's up with you? And uh, he said, man, life's good. And I said, well, tell me about it. He's like, it got way worse before it got better. And he said because of his addiction, um, he had lost his job, and then he lost his wife and kids. And then it got to the point where he experienced an overdose. And he said, I woke up in the hospital that day, and that's when everything changed, when I realized that I didn't have the strength that it took to beat this addiction and that I should be, begin relying on God for that, and that God was still there. He was still willing to help me. And he said, after that, I got my job back, I got my wife and kids back, and he's doing great. But I, I thought of that story, like imagine if you were his wife during that season, and the addiction started. Would you not say, hey God, can you kind of sneak in here and use your power to stop this addiction right now, and God doesn't? And then it gets to the place where he loses his job and you're like, God, what are you doing? Why are you absent? Can't you use your power to free this man from his addiction? And he doesn't. And then it gets to the point where you have to leave and you're like, God, what are you doing? Why are you not intervening? Why don't you do something? He's just, he's just refraining. He's just delaying until the point where it got to the point where he overdosed. But see, God knew that this man had to get to a point where he experienced and believed, it's not me that has the power to put the addiction down. It's God that, that lifts the sinner up. That's what he needed. 
And so that's why he delays his power to reveal these certain aspects. Sometimes God lets Lazarus die, but only so that you can see an aspect of his glory that you're going to need in a later part of your life. So that's the purpose. That's one of the main purposes that we see. But just because we know a reason why God might be doing this, it doesn't make these seasons any easier to go through. It doesn't make them any less confusing or any less emotional. So I want to show you his presence in the midst of it. Jesus waits those two days, then makes his way to Bethany and finally begins entering into the village. And in verse 20 it says, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. Then she goes to get her sister Mary. And it says in verse 32, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. That's an emotional few moments there. Martha's emotional, Mary's emotional, the disciples are emotional, Jesus is emotional. So just because we know the purpose doesn't make these seasons any less emotional. And there's all kinds of emotions. Do you notice Martha? She is angry. Like she sees Jesus coming over the hill and she's like, oh no, huh? Like you choose to come now? You wasted valuable time. And we fed you and we've let you in our house and you let Lazarus die, even though you had the power to intervene. Like, you're late. You're late. And Mary, she's not angry, but she's kind of despondent and kind of hopeless. She just lays herself at Jesus' feet, just in the pit of depression. And the disciples are emotional, and the crowd's emotional. And what John shows us is that Jesus does not shy away from any of that. <laughs> He's not sh shocked that we feel emotions during these seasons of grief. In fact, instead of running away from them, he runs to them. Like Martha wants a confrontation, and Jesus gives it to her. It's like, you need someone to yell at? Yell at me. And he actually uses that anger to teach her that amazing truth. I am the resurrection and the life, which is so amazing. We're going to save that for another time. And then Mary didn't need that. She just needed some space. She needed some space to kind of collect her thoughts. And when she was willing to come and sit beside him, he allowed it. He, he's everything that these people needed in their grief, but not just that. And this blows my mind. Not only is he okay with the emotions, but he feels them as well. Look at what verse 33 says in the message version. It says, when Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. And verse 34 says, Jesus did what? 35, he wept. He wept. So don't gloss over this. This is the sovereign creator of the universe who is literally shaking with anger and weeping, like ugly face crying, like snot going everywhere, just like, like in the depth of sadness as well. So he's feeling the exact same emotions that these two women are feeling, that the, that the crowds and the disciples are feeling. And I think that when we go through these confusing moments, it's so easy to, to think of God as just detached, 
as just outside, as, as up there, as, as uh, ordaining and sovereign over everything, but not present in the midst with us. Now that, that is true. He is up there and that's actually a comfort during these times to know that he is working everything according to a plan that's for our good. But as he's doing that, as he's ordaining, as he's controlling, he's also right in the midst with us. He's present with us. He's right by our side, experiencing emotions just like us. Have you ever thought of that? Has a friend ever betrayed you? Jesus has been there. Have you lost a loved one? So has Jesus. Have you experienced injustice? He's been there too. Are you just agonizing over this temptation that will just not leave you alone? Jesus has been there as well. Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, but has been tempted in every way, every single way, and yet without sin. And what that means is that, yes, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end, but he's also present at every single step in between. One author puts it like this. Our tendency is to feel intuitively that the more difficult life gets, the more alone we are. As we sink further into pain, we sink further into felt isolation, but the Bible corrects us. Our pain never outstrips what he himself shares in. We are never alone. That sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, was endured by him in the past and is now shouldered by him in the present. Isn't that good? So that's his purpose. That's his presence in the midst of it. And I want to give you a perspective. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. And it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take the stone away. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, and it's important he said that, because if he didn't, all the dead people would have come out. He said, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. And they had heard that Jesus had this ability before, but now their eyes have seen it. Now they've experienced it for themselves. And he provided a new glimpse at his glory. They saw him in a way that no one else had at that point. And where Mary and Martha and the disciples and the crowds were blaming him just a few minutes ago, now they're praising him because he delayed his power to show them his glory. And what their ears had heard, now their eyes had seen. Now, God delayed his power for Mary and Martha and Lazarus for about four days. And after four days, he unleashed that power and he intervened. For us, it might be four days, but it might be four weeks. It might be four years. It might be 40 years. It might not even be in this lifetime. You remember that, that verse uh, 2, how I pointed out how weird it was at the beginning? It says this, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So you're reading that. John puts that in there. You're like, okay, so Mary anointed Jesus in the past. It's that Mary. But if you go and look through John 
1 through chapter 10, you will find no mention of that. But flip over to chapter 12 if you have a Bible. What's the heading? Mary anoints Jesus. And so John puts this sentence from Mary's next chapter in life at the very beginning of chapter 11. It's just so weird. Before she undergoes all this suffering, John makes a point to show us that eventually she ends up in worship, that eventually her pain ends up in praise. And I might be making too much out of, the verse, out of this verse. I think that I might be. Maybe John's point is just to differentiate her from Mary Magdalene, Mary, uh, Bethany from Mary Magdalene. That's okay, uh, because other verses say this explicitly. Listen, when the script gets flipped and you're confused and you have no idea what in the world God could be doing and there's these emotions and there's this anger and there's this pain, the best thing that you can do is back up and just remind yourself of what's gonna be happening in the next chapter. The best thing you can do is just back way up and have this perspective of what you're going to be doing and experiencing in the next chapter of God's story for you. And I can tell you what your next chapter holds. You want to hear it? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. No longer where there'll be a curse upon it, ever, anything. For the throne of God and of the lamb will be there. And his servants will worship him. That's your next chapter. That's where you're going to be in the next chapter of God's story. Worshiping, healed, restored, grateful. See, the Bible says that when the new heavens and the new earth come about, we're going to just worship him for all of eternity. And I don't know, I can't prove this in the Bible, just, just in my head. I don't think we're going to need a worship leader because we're not going to be singing the same song. I think it'll be similar, but I don't think we're going to be singing like in unison or in melody. I think we're going to be singing in harmony and not just in notes, but like in content. Like when we get to heaven, you're going to look back over your short time on earth and at all these characteristics and aspects of God's glory that he showed you and you alone. And you're just going to burst into praise to God, the provider and God, the healer and your neighbor on the new earth is gonna be singing as well, but they're gonna be singing to God, the restore and the God that brings back things that you had lost. And the person next to them is gonna be singing out in praise to the God who lifts up my head, to the God who protects me, to the God who restores my family and the person next to them and the person next to them. And it's gonna burst in this amazing chorus of praise that's gonna last not for a week, not for 10 years, but for a million years and then a million years more, all the way into eternity with all these different aspects of God's glory and his goodness. Because sometimes he delayed his power and he flipped the script so he could show you his glory. So what your ears had heard, your eyes could see. Because he's good. So in a moment, uh, we're gonna put some prompts up on the screen. 
I'd encourage you not to leave at our campuses or shut down that computer, but really spend some time thinking back and thinking through these questions. And after that, we're gonna respond in what I hope is one of the best times of worship we've had in a while. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that it's true and that it's given in love. <laughs> thank you that you know what's best for us. And what's best for us is you. <laughs> it's you. So Father, be present with us. And would you give us that perspective that we need? And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.